Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Friendship. I'm so glad. It's such a privilege to get to stand up here and preach. I'm happy my mic is working. Usually I have mic. I, I tend to have mic malfunctions. I don't know how to function, but we're good. We're two for two this morning. Um, my name is Jake. I'm a deacon here at Friendship. Um, and just think about how awesome this is that we are um, we're gathered here together to hear from God's word together and he is here with us, without a doubt. And so um, I just want to take a moment to pray together for us to uh, just settle together, focus in on his word, and, um, and ask him to do a work with us. So if you would, please bow your heads. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for gathering us here and for your hand that, that guides everything in our lives. We thank you for your work in saving us through Christ on the cross. I pray that you would enliven our hearts again to receive you. For some of us, that may be for the first time. I pray that you would do that work now by your spirit. And um, I pray that you would use the words that I say to transform, um, transform by your word, Lord. Um, would you please do that now? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, this week, uh, we are going to be in the book of Judges and more specifically going through the story of Samson um, together, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with if you've um, been in church for any amount of time. And what I want to do this morning is take a flyover view of both the book of Judges and then the story of Samson more specifically together. And I have three, three points, um, and I, I feel like I always have three points, but my first point is going to be by nature that we are sinful as humans. Our, the second point, that God accomplishes his plan despite our sin. And three, um, how we see the grace of God in the death of Samson. All right, so I want to start out with a little bit of background about where we're coming from in the story and from Joshua and where we're at in the book of Judges. Um, last week, Andrew was preaching, if you remember, out of the book of Joshua and how the walls of Jericho came tumbling down after the Israelites had marched around the city for several days. And the rest of the book of Joshua details how the Israelites conquered most of the surrounding land, which they had previously been promised to them uh, by God. And it was a time of rest and prosperity now for the Israelites in the book of Joshua. And at the end of the book, right before his death, we see Joshua give a speech to all the leaders and officers of Israel. He reminds them that all they had, everything they had, had been um, pr uh, promised to them by God and had been given to them by God. He had fulfilled all of his promises. It was given to them apart from their own strength or their own virtue, apart from anything they had done to earn it. Um, it was given to them by God because of his promise. And Joshua exhorted them to keep God's law because of what God had done for them. He told them not to associate or marry with the surrounding nations they had and were going to conquer and not to worship or serve their gods. Joshua also told them that if they were going to go against the commands of God, that they would perish. And in the final chapter of the book, we see uh, these Israelite leaders and officers agree with Joshua about these things. They said yes, and they affirmed everything that he said. They said that they could and will follow God's law. They won't abandon him or, or serve other gods. Um, but what we see from the very beginning of the book of Judges is that Israel was not able to keep this promise. They weren't able to keep their promises as God is able to keep his promises. 
In Judges chapter 2, 11, it says this, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Um, and so this ushers Israel into the area of the era of the judges. And the judges were people that God would raise up to rescue the Israelites out of the hand of their enemies because God had pity and had compassion on his people as they cried out to him. Um, and this is despite the fact that the reason the Israelites were in this situation in the first place was because of their own disobedience. Um, and that brings us to our person of focus this morning, which is Samson. So Samson was one of those judges that I just mentioned. Um, he was raised up by God during a time in which the Israelites had been given into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Samson was born to a woman previously barren, but the Lord opened her womb. And from his birth, he was to be a Nazarite. So a Nazarite was someone who could separate themselves to the Lord. And there were three provisions that they had to follow. Um, they could not drink wine, strong drink, or anything from the vine. They could not cut their hair. And they could not touch anything dead. Previously, it was laid out as a voluntary way for someone to do this, um, to separate themselves to the Lord. But this is the first and only instance in the Bible where someone is set aside from birth until death as a Nazarite. It's more than just a ritual. It was a way for someone to set themselves apart to God as holy as he is holy. Now, many of you may have already known the story of Samson when it comes to his strength. For example, he struck down 30 Philistines after they manipulated his new wife to turn against him, only to later outdo himself um, significantly when he slaughtered a thousand Philistines with nothing but a donkey's jaw. Imagine the donkey. I don't even know what a donkey's jaw looks like, and I don't know how you'd use it as a weapon, but that's exactly what he did. Um, today, I, I don't necessarily want to talk just about his great feats or his strength or his intelligence, but to begin, I want to talk about Samson's sin. Samson's sin. What we see from the very beginning of Samson's time as a judge is that he's certainly not concerned about his own holiness, about uh, as his Nazarite vow would suggest. We see he makes many missteps, many mistakes throughout his life. And it, it starts in chapter 14. Samson saw a daughter of the Philistines, and he wanted to marry her. Remember, uh, the Israelites had promised not to marry into uh, surrounding nations to marry their daughters. And in verse 3, he rebuts his parents as they rightly object to him wanting to marry a woman from another nation. And he says, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Later in chapter 16, Samson sleeps with a prostitute, and then he falls in love with another Philistine woman um, named Delilah. And because of his infatuation with Delilah, he allows himself uh, this time to be manipulated um, by her into telling her the source of his power, which you may know is his hair. Um, and she ends up telling the Philistines about this so that they can cut his hair and capture him and imprison him and defeat him, which they do. Um, beyond these failures, Samson also, he likely goes on to break each provision of his Nazarite vow. And I say likely because the Bible doesn't explicitly say that he drank alcohol, but we can assume that this happened during his wedding feast, especially when you consider Samson's other character flaws. Um, but besides that, he also, he comes into contact with a dead, uh, a dead lion's carcass in chapter 14, verse 8. And then he allows himself to be taken advantage of by Delilah, uh, which results in his hair being cut. Um, 
And so I want to take a pause here and bring up my first point, which is this, and that is that as humans, we are by nature, we are blind. As humans, by nature, we are blind. Um, We first see this playing out in Samson's life when he pursues the first Philistine woman to be his wife. Do you remember what it says? Um, I read it already. It says, get, he said to his parents, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Um, what you would expect from someone who is to judge Israel and to lead them into victory against the Philistines is someone who is set apart, who is holy, as his Nazarite, Samson's Nazarite vow would suggest that he was. But instead, this statement about the Philistine woman being right in Samson's eyes becomes emblematic of his life. And this point, this idea about our eyes leading us is brought up elsewhere in the Bible. You remember Jesus um, himself talks about it in Luke eleven thirty four. He says this, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Uh, recently during one of our men's community group meetings that meets on Monday nights, uh, this point actually got brought up by one of our guys, Jonathan. And I don't remember everything that he said, but uh, trust me, it was really good. I remember afterwards asking if I could speak in tongues after he said it. And I didn't, I didn't actually, that was a joke. I didn't actually speak in tongues, but that's how spiritual I felt after he had said, but what he had said was, was really, I don't remember all the words that he, exactly what he said, but basically what he was getting at was that God made us so that what we see, what we set our eyes upon, that is what we desire. That is what we go after. Um, is this not true in our own lives? Think about the world we live in now, full of screens. You know, we watch a lot of TV or um, a lot of phone screen time on our computers, and we're constantly being pulled in a million directions by ads that companies put out, by our friends that are showing us all the great things they're doing with their families, the amazing trips that they're taking. And everyone tries to look what, or make what they're selling or what they're doing look attractive and look beautiful to us. And we're drawn to that. We say, I want to I go on that trip. I want that cool new sweater, you know? And we're drawn to those things. And uh, before we become Christians, the Bible describes our condition as blindness, and even after we become Christians, our eyes are often distracted from the beauty of God to the beauty of this world. And such it was for Samson. That blindness was not only the case for Samson during this time, but it's for the whole uh, nation of Israel. Um, the pattern throughout the entire book of Judges is that the nation of Israel sins, they disobey God, then they cry out for help, and God sends them a judge to rescue them like Samson, only for Israel to fall into sin once again. Um, The final verse of the book of Judges is emblematic of this whole pattern of their time as uh, their time during the Judges in their history. In chapter 21, verse 25, it says this, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And when we follow what we think is right, rather than what God says, what, rather, where he guides us so that we can prosper, we'll be led astray. Um, there's this interesting part in the middle of chapter 24 in Joshua, which is the last chapter right before they move into the book of Judges. And right after the leaders and officers, remember we talked, I mentioned this in the background, right after the leaders and officers pledged their allegiances to God, to Yahweh, they promised they won't abandon him. 
And Joshua says to them in verse 19, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. I mean, can you imagine like a pastor coming up to you and being like, you, you're, you're like, I'm ready to serve God. He's, you can't. Nope, God is holy. You can't do it. It's not encouraging, really. It's a, it's a discouraging thing to say. But you see, the biggest problem that humans face on this earth is that God is holy and we are not. He's perfect. He's so far beyond us that we're told in Scripture, if we were even to look upon him with our physical eyes, we would be destroyed. And Joshua was aware of this. He said, himself that he would serve the Lord in verse 15. Remember Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So why would he tell the leaders that they can't serve God if he says that he, he says himself that they could? Does Joshua believe that he's that much more spiritual or that much more holy than these leaders that he could do that? I don't think that's what he's trying to communicate. What I think he's trying to say is uh, he sees that there's something deeper than just what these leaders are saying. He can see in what they are saying that they don't see the truth behind what they're saying. It's hard to tell whether or not the Israelites are blatantly being insincere about their ability to follow God or if they're simply naive to the fact um, that they can't in their own power obey him. But the point that Joshua is trying to get at is that we cannot rely on ourselves and on our own strength to please God. Our deepest efforts apart from the grace of God will inevitably come up short of God's glory. And this is the blindness that Israel fell into. And they began to be drawn to the beauties of this world, and it led them into the period of the judges that we see them in. And we likewise as Christians can fall into this pattern of sin, crying out to God, him rescuing us after we sin, and then repeat time and time again. And often what lies behind this pattern is, yes, we may rely on God to rescue us, but after that, we try to bear the burden of sin ourselves. We try to bear the burden of life circumstance, of hurt and loneliness and so on. And in this way, we can also be blind as Samson was blind. And and as the Israelites were blind in this example. So this leads me straight to my next point, which um, by the way, I'm shamelessly pulling from an outline that Andrew sent me this week. Um, but it's this, God accomplishes his plan despite our sin. God accomplishes his plan despite our sin. We've already talked about Samson's sin. The Bible makes it clear that Samson did not live a virtuous life. And we can look at someone like Samson and think, why, why him? Why did God use him um, with all of his sin and all of his missteps? Why did God continue to use him? And God did use him. There's no question about that. What you even see is that God uses his sinful actions to accomplish his purposes. Multiple times it's said of Samson that the spirit of God rushed upon him and then he would perform some heroic feat. In chapter 14, verse 6, it says the spirit rushed upon him and then he ends up tearing a lion to pieces. Um, Samson would later use a riddle on the Philistines involving a lion and then the honey that ends up in the lion's carcass, which leads to Samson striking down 30 Philistines, which in turn accomplishes God's purpose of Samson judging the Philistines. In chapter 14, verse 19, it says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he defeated those 30 Philistines that I just mentioned. In chapter 15, verse 14, uh, it says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that bound him 
melted off, and he, he ended up killing a thousand men, as I mentioned before, with a donkey's jaw. So, to one extent, the Bible tells us, and I want to be careful here, that we may not always understand exactly what God is doing, um, especially when he uses sinful people to accomplish his plan. In Isaiah 55, 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But with that said, here I go. I'm going to try and explain why God does um, use these sinful people. So here goes my explanation, because it can be unfathomable as to why God would choose to use sinful people for his purposes. I mean, think about all the characters in the Bible, all the, the ones that, uh, that we love and that we like to emulate our lives after. Um, think about David. David ends up um, committing adultery with Bathsheba and then, and then organizing the murder of Bathsheba's husband so that um, he doesn't find out. And then um, Peter, who denied Jesus three times around the time when Jesus was crucified. And Peter becomes the leader of the New Testament church. And Paul, who persecuted Christians and likely participated in the killing of Christians, and then he is converted to Christianity miraculously, and he becomes a missionary to the known world at that time. One of the most he wrote most of the New Testament, and we look up to him obviously. And so, why does God do this? And my best answer is this: God's grace is most clearly seen when worked into the lives of sinful people. Let me read that again. God's grace is most clearly seen when worked into the lives of sinful. People, think about this with me for a moment. At what point in history was God's glory most prevalent? At what point in history was God's glory most prevalent? And I would say in Jesus dying on the cross in our place. There's two verses I want to read um, that have to do with this. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from what? From seeing the light of the gospel... Of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 says this, We were predestined for adoption as sons of Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So God's grace is glorious. And, and we, I think we can say this, I would venture on to say this, the most glorious thing about God is his grace. And his grace is most clearly seen where? It's most clearly seen in him sending Jesus to take our place on the cross. So when God chooses to use those that are sinful and those that are weak, he is making his glorious grace known to that person and the people who see their lives and see God's grace working in their lives. Let's go back to Paul for a moment. I mentioned Paul. He became an apostle, a leader in the New Testament church. He wrote most of the New Testament, and he ended up being a missionary to the entire known world at, at the time. He says of himself this in 1 Timothy 1.15. It says this, the, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That's amazing that Paul says that. Right? He, said, he doesn't say, I was the foremost. He says, I am the foremost sinner. I am the worst of sinners. Paul was chosen by God to be an apostle and was used mightily by him. 
Why, why would God do that? What's the reason? And Paul answers it himself. He says in verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Isn't that amazing? Um, let me say this too, practically speaking for myself, I am often most helped by those that themselves have made huge missteps in their lives because God comes in and he works and he shows himself gracious and it makes his work so clear when he does that, does it not? Can you think of people in your life who have shared testimonies of hurt and pain and sin, that mistakes they have made and how God has redeemed their lives? I've often been encouraged the most by people who have gone through personal sin and personal weakness and they've seen God carry them through or are seeing God right now carrying them through. And when those people share their testimony of God's grace, it helps me and it helps us to see God more for who he is. And in doing doing so, in sharing our testimony of God's grace in our lives, we are glorifying God for his grace to us. So, With these two points established, I want to move into my final point, which is the grace of God in the death of Samson. So we've established two things. Well, we've uh, established so far that we are sinful and that we are blind by nature, that God graciously works through sinful people. And now I want to look at the final chapter of Samson's life together with you. Um, At this point, Samson had been captured by the Philistines after he told Delilah the source of his power, which was his hair. Um, the Philistines end up cutting his hair, right? And they bind him and they capture him and they end up gouging his eyes out. So now Samson is imprisoned. He's now literally blind and the Philistines are using him as entertainment as a way to mock him. And the Philistines are, are all gathered to make a sacrifice to their God for their victory over Samson. So let's pick up in chapter 16, verse 25. I'm gonna read. It says this, and when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. So we see that despite all of Samson's sin up to this point, God used Samson in his weakness to judge the Philistines while they were worshiping their false god. It wasn't in Samson's strength. God is trying to show us that even in our our most weak moments that he will work that he can use the situations that we're in and our weakness does not, um, it doesn't obligate God to work on the basis of our weakness or our strength. You see, Samson did demonstrate a measure of faith in calling upon God 
to perform this act against Israel's enemies. Um, I read this in my ESV study Bible in preparation for this, and I think they nailed their summary of what um, was taking place here. Samson demonstrated a measure of faith by calling upon God and believing that God could and would help him. However, Samson seems to have uh, desired God's intervention more for personal revenge rather than for the protection of God's people. So even in this act of faith, and it was an act of faith. Remember in Hebrews 11, it talks about how Samson had faith to do what he did. Even in this act of faith, laced through it, there's selfishness on the part of Samson rather than love for his nation or for his God. And as we close, I want to I close with this. Um, even in this muddled picture of Israel's judge, Samson, God has worked a picture of the coming Savior, Jesus Christ, for us. Because while this judge, Samson, lived a life full of missteps and sin that we've seen, Jesus came and lived a life void of sin, void of mistakes. Samson's life is full of selfishness. Um, It shows him walking in a way that's pleasing to his own eyes, as we've seen. Jesus lived a life full of sacrifice, one in which he was always looking to God the Father and saying, not my will, but yours be done. Even in Samson's death, he seems more focused on personal revenge rather than the benefit of his nation. And even in Jesus' death for us on the cross, he was looking to you and me, dying for our benefit, dying for our gain. Samson's life reaped the consequences that he ended up in, right? Ultimately, he deserved to be punished and die many times over for his constant recklessness, his constant sin. And Samson likely would not have chosen the end result of his life, right? To have his eyes gouged out by his enemies and to be captured by them. Um, He likely would not have chosen that. But Jesus never did one thing to deserve torture or death. Jesus lived a perfect life, and yet he willingly went to the cross to suffer and die so that we could live eternally with him. Um, And I want to close by saying this. I know I think sometimes I I don't provide as many practical points in my sermons as maybe I could, but what I want us to come away with here this morning is, uh, because I I deeply believe that as we look upon God and his grace and his mercy, especially in what Jesus did for us on the cross, we will be changed naturally to desire. Remember we were talking about our desires, the things that we look to. As we look to the beauty of God, to what he's done for us, to his grace, to his mercy, we will be changed naturally. We will want to follow him because why would we not want to follow such a gracious and good God? Why would we not? So I want to encourage you, exhort you today by the story of Samson, look to this God who can use our, who uses, is that not amazing? He uses our mistakes, our weaknesses, and our sin for his glory and so that he can show grace to us again and again. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the story of Samson. Thank you so much for your grace to us. We can never repay it. We can never earn it. We can never deserve it. And yet, you give it to us. It can be so easy to read these stories and and say, God, we don't measure up. And yet, you know that. You know that you must show us grace. And that's the only way that we can rightly serve you. Because you do call for us to live holy lives and to serve you. And so please help us. And please help us to look to your son today. To see all that he has done for us. To see all that you have done for us. 
throughout our lives and in scripture, time and time again, Lord, you promise that you are faithful to hold on to us. You are faithful to protect us. And if there's anyone here this morning that has not seen you in this way, I pray that right now your spirit would be working to open their eyes, to open the blind eyes to see the Savior, Jesus, this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.